Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. My father-in-law just passed away, obviously. So I thought I would do a lesson that deals primarily with fathers tonight. Um, I, I, my father would fit well into this category with some of the things that we're going to talk about. And, and, and Pastor Brothers was not my father, but he treated me like he was. And I know he was a wonderful father to my wife all the, all the years growing up. And um, when, when I got married, he told me this many times after this too, but he said, you're, you're not like my son, you are my son. Or he said, I'm not going to treat you like a son. I'm going to treat you like a son because that's what you are. And he did. That's exactly how he treated me. And, and I couldn't have asked for anything better in a father-in-law. And so, you know, one of these days, sooner than I'd like to admit, my kids are going to be out of the house. They're going to have kids of their own. Some of you are in that category already. Um, and, you know, I, I'm sure that I'll be looking back on my parenting years as a distant memory. But that's what we're in right now is the parenting years. And my children's hearts will no doubt be filled with a lot of memories of me as a father, and I want those to be good memories. Um, my desire is that, um, that I would not only lead fond memories um, and an example that's worth following, but that I would ultimately leave to them a legacy of what fatherhood should be. And look, we're fathers. If you have kids, we're fathers until the day that we die, so we're never too... You know, just because your kids are growing out of the house doesn't mean that, well, that my chance to be that is gone. It's not. It's not. We can do all of these things that we're going to talk about tonight. It's just that we have the greatest influence when our kids are still growing up. Uh, because honestly, um, once our kids are grown, all we have is influence. We can't tell them what to do anymore, you know. And if you don't have influence with them, then they're not going to listen to your advice. They're not going to... Uh, they're not going to care what you have to say. So what we do now when they're younger is what's going to create that influence that we have on them when they are older. And it's so important. And I can't help but ex you know, compare my own experiences and some of the things that we're going to talk about with, with um, my dad. Um, I know that my dad will be the first to admit that he didn't do everything right. And some of these things that I'm even going to talk about tonight are things that I, I think my dad would say that he wished he had done better. Um, but with most of these things, I wish that I was, I wish that I can be and hope that I can be half of what my dad was and is, is, I mean, it's, I'm not talking about him in past tense, but, um, I have a, a wonderful father to compare myself to and, and how I raised my kids. And, um, the same could be said of my father-in-law. I didn't know him growing up, obviously, but I know he was a great father to my wife. He's a great father to me now. Um, and, and was just a tremendous example. And that's one of the things that he, you know, really instilled in me without trying to. Um, but before our kids was, were born, that gave me just a huge jump on that is the idea that all you have when they're grown is influence. And if you don't cultivate that right now, then you're not going to have any influence over them when they're older. Um, and it's not that, you know, I don't want to, I mean, when Jackson comes over to my house when he's married and has kids and I tell him to take out the trash, he better take the trash out. I'm kidding, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, you, you can't tell them what to do necessarily. You know, you need to be doing this in your family. Well, I don't, you know, I, I don't have the right to tell him what to do in his own family. But if I have that influence because of the way that I, you know, carried myself and, and, and taught them and, and raised them when they were growing up, then when I make suggestions to them when they're older, then I'll have that influence. And I desire to fulfill that role to the fullest, and if I fail as a father, 
then honestly, I'm a failure in life, you know? Our number one job is to our families. And a lot of that has to, you know, a lot of that revolves around church and spiritual things and everything else. But if I fail, I fail as a father, number one, my ministry as a pastor is done. You know, that's one of the qualifications is that a pastor rule his own house well. And if I can't do that, then I can't be a pastor. And uh, so if, if I fail as a father, then, then I'm a failure in life. So here's some things. There's 10 of them, and we're going to go through most of them very quickly. But here's some things that I hope my children keep in mind um, and, and uh, when they remember me as their father. Number one, I would say this. He knew how to have fun. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. I need to look at this. I don't, I don't mean to skip over this, but it, this is a great verse for fathers. Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And that's what all of these things revolve around, bringing them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And if they can look back and say these things about me, then I feel like I'd be a success. And the first thing is that he knew how to have fun. I, I hope that one day... I'll look back on the parenting years as some of the most fun, as some of the funnest years in my family's life. You know, um, I just think about growing up, and I, I know I've told you some of these stories before, and so I'll move through them quickly. But you know, just some of the things that my we didn't have, we weren't poor, we weren't like you know scraping the the dirt off the ground so we could make it into a soup. You know, uh, but we didn't have a lot because there were so many kids. You know, even if we did have a lot, it would be you know spread out between that many people. Is it doesn't leave a lot for for any one person, but um, we didn't do a lot of vacations. We didn't go out to eat and that kind of stuff just because of the cost of doing those things. And so, um, but home was fun. And my dad made up all kinds of games. I mean, we, we had, I told, told you about the run across game, you know, we had a, we had a set of stairs that we had a tri-level. And so we had the living room and then it went up into the, like the second level of where the bedrooms were at. And we had this game. It was just a little, like a little Nerf soccer ball. And the goal was you had to run across that opening without getting hit, you know. And whoever got hit had to, you know, counted a point. And the first person to get the five was out, you know. I mean, it was just a dumb game. But we, every night, Dad, can we play the run-across game? Dad, can we play the run-across game? And I know he got sick of hearing it, but he did it, you know. Throwing this ball up at the, up at the wall and trying to hit little legs running across back and forth, you know. I mean, I say little legs. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I don't know when the last time we played. I was probably in high school when we did it last time. Maybe not that late, but. Um, we, we enjoyed that, you know, uh, same thing. We had that same ball and we played soccer in the living room. You know, my mom hated it when we did it cause stuff always got knocked off. But if dad was doing it, it was fine. You know, uh, we couldn't do it by ourselves, but if he was doing it, then it was fine. We had a little bay window, uh, that had a big ledge in it and it was like a half wall. And that was the, that was the goalpost. You know, we had two things and then the other side was the kitchen table and we put two chairs there and you had to kick it in between those. You know what I mean? It was, we just, we had fun with those things. Uh, he bought a foosball table, and boy, we got good at foosball, but it was like every night he wanted to play foosball. Hey, come over here. You know, if you were in the middle of the dishes, that was the best thing you could hear because you were allowed to drop them and go over there and play because he wanted to play foosball. You know, we had, a, we had a dart board that was actually in the house, and we had a big wooden door that went out to the garage, and there was a big circle with no holes in it, you <laughs> know? when you pulled that dartboard off the wall because there were just dart holes all over that thing, you know. Uh, but but that's just stuff. I mean, it didn't cost money very much, and, you know, we just we had fun. Um, and so, you know, those kind of things, I mean, there's so many different things you can do. You know, go on bike rides, make up games in the yard, in the house, you know. Uh, any Anything, anything. Tell, you know, tell goofy jokes in the car. 
uh, we do that, you know? I mean, and the goofier it is, the funnier it gets, you know, at least to them anyway. Uh, but make life fun, you know? I hope that my kids will look back on their grown-up years as some of the funnest of their lives because we didn't, we didn't endure life together. We enjoyed it. That's number one. He knew how to have fun. Number two, he gave us lots of physical affection. Kids need a lot of affection. And uh, dads, I think dads often struggle to give enough of it. Um, you know, especially with trying to raise boys. I have a tendency to be hard on them when they fall or they cry about something, you know. Um, because be a man, grow up, you know. And they should be. And if I'm not careful, that tendency to keep them from being soft or from being a baby can translate into, you know, no affection. And they need that, you know. Um, they, they need to not only know that they're loved, but to feel that love. And, um, you know, I, I hope that my kids will never doubt um, my love because I failed to show it in one of the simplest and most powerful ways possible, and that's, you know, physical touch. And, um, you know, they, go, they get ready to go to bed. I, I hug them, and I give them a kiss, and I tell them I love them, and they go to bed, you know. Same thing when they're leaving and we're going different places, you know. Because you never know when that's going to be the last time you have the opportunity to do that. Right. And, if, right. and if you didn't do it and they left, you're going to wish you could do it, you know. Um, and that's one of the things, and, and I'm not criticizing my dad at all, but, you know, that's one of the things that my dad never did. We didn't say I love you. He didn't hug us, you know. Um, I mean, certain times he would, but it's not like something that we did every day. And so when I first got married, and, you know, I didn't have a problem saying I love you to my wife or things like that, but Pastor Brothers would come and, you know, I'd be getting ready to walk out of the office, and he'd say, Steve, yeah, I love you, son. I'm like, oh, thank you, you know, <laughs> and get out of the office, you know. But it got to the point where I, you know, I love you too, because I do love him, you know, but I just had such a hard time saying it because it was not something that we did growing up. And that's not something that I want my kids to feel awkward around or feel awkward doing, you know. I want them to know that I love them. Um, <clears throat> so lots of physical affection. Number three, I want them to, to remember that, that uh, I spent time with them. He spent time with us. I, I want their childhood to be filled with just innumerable memories of times when Dad said yes to them and to their requests for his time and attention. And I think that's one of the things that my dad did the best when I was growing up. Um, that really plays off of the first and the second point. You know, when a dad wants to have fun with his kids, he's going to show affection to them, and he'll spend time with them. I can remember, the, the, like it was yesterday, the times that we played together, the times that we wrestled together, the times that we laughed together and served together and just, you know, just love this thing we call life, you know? I mean, my dad was always very physically fit and still is, honestly, for, for his age, but, you know, he had no problem, you know, grabbing you in a headlock and wrestling you to the floor. I mean, Somebody asked me that. Oh, actually, we were sitting around last night talking, and um, I said, yeah, my dad used to wrestle all the time. You know, he would go in there and wrestle with, the, with the, the, heavyweight, you know, the heavyweight guys practicing because he could handle them even at 160, 70 pounds, whatever he was, you know, uh, at that time. And, and so I think Jason said, could he beat you? And I said, I hate to admit it, but honestly, even when I was good, I was, you know, I, I mean, and this is all past tense, but I was a pretty good wrestler, and my dad could beat me anytime he wanted to beat me, you know, and so, it, but it was fun, it was fun, you know, we, we enjoyed doing that, and he got on the floor and wrestled around, and I can just, I just remember that my dad was there for us for everything, you know, some of the best memories, we had a big, 
it was a big quarter mile track and in the middle of that track was a big soccer field and uh, we had soccer games and stuff like that my dad owned his own business I know he was busy I know he was always you know constantly out working and stuff but we would get ready to start the soccer game if the soccer game started at 3:30, and we'd be out there you know all the teams were lined up on both sides ready to start and there my dad would be coming walking up that track you know he didn't miss a game I mean maybe once in a in a great while but wrestling tournaments, you know, uh, we're getting ready to start. And, you know, here it's, we're getting ready to wrestle the first match. And I'm like, he's not here, you know. And, and I always wanted my dad to see the re wrestling match and the soccer game and all that stuff. And, you know, all of a sudden I'd look up in the middle of the match and there he'd be sitting on the sideline, you know, coaching. And it just, I mean, it just made everything feel like it was normal, you know. He was there for us. And those, those things are so memorable because my dad chose to be present. That's one of the problems that we have in this country is that fathers are not present anymore. They choose, you know, number one, they leave their families, but number two, they choose their businesses over their children. And they are too busy working at the office and staying late and everything else to be there for their kids. And so my dad wanted to be involved. He wasn't too busy to just simply be there. And that's how I want my kids to remember me. Here's number four. He knew how to be both a father and a daddy. Uh, my kids need a dad to look up to, but they also need a father to respect. Um, I'm good friends with my dad. I would say that we, you know, that we are good friends. But when we were growing up, he was not my buddy. He was my dad, and I didn't treat him like a buddy. You know, I didn't ever say "What's up, dude?" You know, <laughs> I didn't say that stuff because he was not a buddy. He was my dad, and I'd be afraid of what would happen if I said "What's up, dude?" You know, I knew he loved me. And I knew that, you know, we could go play and wrestle and do all of this stuff together, but you didn't step outside of that bounds because he was a dad, but he was also my father. And he demanded that respect. You know, sometimes being a dad means you get to be your kid's best friend and hero in certain aspects. You know, they love playing games with you. You get to say, yes, you guys can stay up for another 30 minutes. You can come play this game when your mom told you to go do this, you know. And so you're the hero, you know. You're their dad and everything else. But other times it, it means you have to be the disciplinarian means you have to be the bad guy. And a lot of guys, number one, they're not involved in their children's life, and so when they do get a chance to be with them, they feel so guilty about not being there that they want to be the buddy, they want to be the friend, and they want their kids to like them. So they're, they're not hard on them at all. They don't discipline them at all. They're the, the lenient one, you know? They got the, the kids have them wrapped around their fingers, and they know that they can get away with murder because, well, he's, I'm his buddy, you know, I'm not his... No, if you're involved in your kid's life like you should be, then you can be a dad, but you can also be a father, and you can be the disciplinarian, and you can, you can be the bad guy when you need to be, you know? And I will say that dad gets to be the good guy a whole lot more than mom does because he comes home when the kids are excited to see him. Mom's been home with the kids all day dealing with them, and she's finally like, oh, I'm glad you're home. And now, oh, dad, you know? And so he gets to be the good guy and everything else. But, um, you know, let me caution you that you still need to be the disciplinarian. They still need that discipline. They still need you to be their father, not just their friend. The last thing you want to come do is to have to come home and discipline them for something that they did um, the minute you got home, but you're still their father. And if you're a pushover and you allow them to run all over you, then you're a dad without being a father. And you, can, you, you need both. You have to be a father, but you also need to be a dad. You have to be a dad, but you also need to be a father. More often than not, when the kids are growing up, they need a father. There'll be a time when they can be their friend, but the time is not right now.
Um, so many dads want to be buddy-buddy with their kids so that they think they're cool, you know, mostly because they're well past that cool stage, and so they want their kids to think they're cool. You know, you're, you're wearing dad socks, hiked up to your knees in shorts, you know. And, um, but, you know, um, mostly, and, and I'll tell you what happens a lot of times is, is so many families are split nowadays that, you know, the kids get no discipline because mom wants them to like them, so they want to come over to her house. Dad wants them to like him, so they want to come over to his house so nobody disciplines anybody and they can do anything they want to, you know? And that's the problem, too. But a balance of both, essential. I want my kids to remember me as both their father and their dad. Here's number five. He was patient and kind. Kids mess up. They need regular correction. They need regular guidance. Um, but I, I need to remember that my kids are just that. They're kids. And God's given them to me to prepare them for life. And that doesn't excuse my responsibilities to be firm when I need to be firm. Um, just because they're just kids and because I'm trying to be patient and kind doesn't mean that I don't be consistent in disciplining them when they need it. Um, or that I use an excuse. But I hope that they always remember that I was patient and kind towards them. And, you know, even in those times when I had to be firm. And... I, 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 and I, I say I hope they remember what I'm doing. What I'm, what I'm, the, the reason I'm saying it like this is because I'm saying this is what I need to be now. It's what we need to be now. Um, but but I, hope that they, I hope that they can remember that my correction and my discipline was done out of love and not out of anger. Um, it's very easy. And, and I'll tell you, when, when discipline starts to get done out of anger is when you don't discipline them consistently. If you discipline them, I, you know, stop, and they don't, and you discipline them, it's very simple. Stop. I told you to stop. If you don't stop, and then finally you blow up because you've had enough. And that's, that's the problem with the father. That's not the problem. With the, I mean, it is, it is the kid's problem because he should obey, but that's the father's fault because he would spank them the first time, discipline them the first time he told them to stop, and they didn't. Then he waits until, they, until he finally blows up. What do you think the kid's going to do? You know, if, if you tell them to stop and you don't do anything about it, why, why would they stop? You know, so it's, it's the father's responsibility. But it, it's patience and kindness go a long way with that. And I hope that my kids can remember me that way. Number six, he was helpful. You know, uh, I want them to remember me, uh, you know, uh, doing things that were helpful to them, you know, helping around the house where I can. Uh, and I don't do it tons, but, you know, I'll do the dishes sometimes. I'll do the laundry sometimes. I just did it yesterday, so I can say that. I wasn't saying it for this, though, I promise you. <laughs> I was like, stink. All right, let's see. Monday, I'm doing the dishes. Tuesday, I'm doing the laundry. I'm preaching Wednesday. No, but, you know, what happens a lot of times is fathers get in the serve me mode. You know, and, and, and to a certain extent, they, they deserve it. I'm not, you know, I'm not setting this, you know, I'm the king of my castle, you know, serve me. But they do work all day, and they come home, and, you know, and, and but on the other hand, the mothers work all day, too. You know what I'm saying? It may not be in a job, but they're working all day with the kids. They're working to keep the house clean. They're working to, to get the food ready and all that stuff. And so uh, the family should want to do everything they can. Uh, for dad, because he works hard to provide, but so does, so does mom. And our attitude should be one of service. And I hope they can remember me for being approachable, you know. 
Um, what? I'm busy. I don't have time. Go, go do something else. I'll get with you when I have time. I want to always have time for my kids' questions. And that's a lesson for a different day. But if, if you want your kids to talk to you later about issues that are important to them, you talk to them now about the issues that are important to them. Um, you know, and that's one of the reasons why I take my kids out uh, one at a time. I want them to give me the, I, I want to give them my time. And when I go, unless Jackson's always asking me about, hey, what did, you know, what Pete Maravich did this, you know, so I have to look it up on my phone and find out the answer. But when we go, I don't, uh, you know, my phone doesn't come out. They have my time and they have my attention. And if I want to have their time and attention later, then they need to have my time and attention now. And so, you know, that's, that goes all along with, with those things. Here's number seven. I hope that I, they can remember me as the fact that he was in love with our mother. You know, uh, my dad loved my mom, and there was never any question about that. And I hope that my kids can say the same thing about us, you know. Um, I, I can remember my dad doing, you know, doing this kind of stuff with my mom. You know, he would pick her up and carry her, you know, and, and she... She squealed every time he did it because she didn't like to be picked up. She was afraid he was going to drop her, you know, which I don't know why because he was strong. But, you know, it, and it was, you know, he'd kiss her. He would, um, you know, he'd tickle her. And she hated being tickled. Like, it was one of the things that she hated the most. This is the funniest thing. They would be in the bedroom. And I remember being five, six, seven years old. And she, I, I, we all knew exactly what he was doing. He was tickling her, you know. And she was just you know, carrying on, laughing, like, really loud, you know, and we would knock on the door, relax, mom, I have no idea where that came from or how it started, but that, that was one of the things that we did, you know, uh, and, you know, it's just, it was just, I knew that my dad loved my mom, um, and it made for a great atmosphere in the home, you know, um, parents should flirt in front of their kids, you know, uh, it's not necessarily, public displays of affection where it happens, you know, at the church and all of that kind of stuff, but it should happen at home and they should see it, you know, they should know. Um, let me give you five quick reasons why, and they'll be quick. Number one, it gives them a sense of security. Dad loving mom and mom loving dad in a committed relationship gives the kids a sense of security because the exact opposite is true. If mom and dad are constantly at each other's throats, the kids feel responsible for that. And they always wonder, is mom and dad gonna get a divorce? Is this going to be the end of their marriage? What am I going to do? Mom loving dad and dad loving mom gives them a sense of security. Um, it's, it's a, it sends them a message that we're in this together. Number two is it gives them a positive view of a marital relationship. You know, one of the problems with especially girls being in abusive relationships and stuff like that today and staying in them is that's the relationship that they saw modeled in their parents growing up, you know. Dad did whatever he wanted to do to mom. He hit her. He, he verbally abused her, whatever else, and just said anything that came to his mind, and that's just the way it was. And so a girl gets in a relationship like that with a guy, and instead of getting out of that relationship because it's not, you know, it's not healthy, she stays in it because that's what, that's what was modeled to her. The, the opposite is also true, you know. You have a good model relationship at home between mom and dad, and a girl gets into a relationship that is, you know, obviously this guy is not, you know, treating her the way that he should and everything else. You recognize it quickly. You can get out of it. Number three is it debunks the culture's lies. You know, our children rarely, if ever, see mom and dad hugging and kissing and all that kind of stuff today. And so, you know, they're left to believe that what love is is what is shown by Hollywood. That's not love. You know, 
one night stands and hooking up with this person and that person and doing all this stuff. That's not what real love is. And when we've failed to model true love in the home, then we're giving somebody else the power to model what love is. And they're going to follow somebody. So we need to protect our children from, uh, from those things and prove to them what love really is. That being married is fun. That saving yourself completely for your husband or your wife is, is worth it. Here's number four is it promotes a healthy purity lifestyle. And that goes right along with that. I've got some things written down, but I'll skip through that. That's exactly what it is. You know, um, if you live in a healthy, pure relationship, then you're modeling that purity is what is healthy. And, of course, then it's a lot of fun. You know, that's, that's another good reason uh, to do that. Flirting in front of your kids makes both your marriage and your family life more enjoyable. You know, um, letting them see you love their mother is so important. You know, your kids will tell you how gross it is. They'll turn away and act like they don't want to see it, but, but they want to, you know. The, that's what the kids do all the time, you know. Oh, oh, you know, they're looking away, but they got to see it, you know. And, and they're going to act like they don't like it, but it's, you know, and, and they may think that they don't, but they do. Because it's dad loving mom, and it gives them all of those things that we're trying to teach them about what marriage is about. I want my kids to be able to say dad made his love obvious in the way that he spoke to mom, and the way that he kissed her, and the way that he treated her, the way that he prioritized her. I want them to be able to say that dad loved mom. Here's number eight. He loved serving others. I want my kids to, say, to, to be able to say that I lived a generous life um, that, you know, toward other people in need, that I encouraged other people to do the same them to do the same how great to hear them uh, say that that my dad made a difference in the lives of others by following the example of Jesus you know um, my dad was was like that uh, you know um, in, in a lot of different ways but I know Pastor Brothers was that way a lot man you couldn't give him five dollars because he didn't keep it in his wallet you know <laughs> he wasn't spending it he was giving it to somebody you know um, and that's just, that's the way that he was. You know, if he had $5, it was yours. Um, and, and it's just that, that generous, he loved serving others. Number nine, I hope that my kids can say that he loved me unconditionally. Um, I, I want my kids to realize that whether they're having fun or whether they're getting in trouble, that I love them unconditionally. And um, that they'll never question whether or not I love him. Uh, because he regularly told us and because he regularly showed us. Um, and, and I think that's one of the problems, and, and maybe it's fading. I, I think it is fading, but uh, I, I believe that that's one of the problems that we've had in fundamentalism, um, why so many kids have grown up and left church, uh, left being a fundamentalist, left being an independent Baptist and so on, is, um, you know, kids leave home as a rebel and they get shunned. And, um, you know, there's a lot of reasons why they leave home as a rebel, but, you know, that, that are problems in the home too. But what makes you think that that's going to make them want to come back to God? You leave home, fine. Don't ever come back to this place again. What makes you think they're ever going to want to come back to God? You know, well, yeah, I really want to get right with God so that my parents can accept me again. You know, it's just, it's such opposite. If they can't even come home, then where can they go? You know, they ought to, they ought to be able to know that no matter what happens, no matter what they do, the first place they ought to come is knocking on the door at home, you know? Will I be disappointed? Sure. You know, am I going to wish that they had made different choices? Sure. But the one place that they're going to know that they can come is home. And they're going to be accepted. And then we'll pick up the pieces and go from there. 
you know, but they need to know that I love them unconditionally. And I, you know, um, and, and that's what unconditional love is. Unconditional love means there are no conditions. Well, as long as you serve God, I'm going to love you and you're welcome here. That's a condition, you know. If you love them unconditionally, then, hey, I, I certainly am disappointed. I wish you were serving God still, but I love you and you're welcome to come home. You know, that's what loving unconditionally is. Lastly, I hope my kids can say that he loved God. Above everything else, I'm a Christian. And I want my kids to see that. And, you know, um, I want them to know that my, that's why my life was focused on serving the Lord through serving others, because I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm, I'm other things. I'm a pastor, and I'm a chaplain, and I'm this, and I'm that. But I'm a Christian, first and foremost. And they ought to know that. And they ought to know that I love God. Um, one of the things about Pastor Brothers is that he served 33 months in the Army. He was drafted into Vietnam, or drafted to, to go to Vietnam. He went down to Fort Bragg in Texas, and he was so good at what he did that they didn't let him go over there. Every time his draft orders came, or every time his, his um, uh, what are the orders that they send you over there to, came up, they wouldn't, you know, his superior officer said, no, we need him here. So he never actually had to go to Vietnam. He served 33 months there in, um, in Fort Bragg and then got several commendation awards and stuff like that when he was released. Um, so he's eligible to have a full military funeral, taps, you know, the flag folded and everything else. Um, what we're doing that's that's going to be different though is that his flag his coffin is actually going to be draped in a christian flag and at the time when they're going to play taps they're not going to play taps they're going to play amazing grace uh because he was a soldier he was all of these other things but first and foremost he was a christian and that's what identified his life that's what made him who he was and that's when his kids look back at him at his life all of these other things, I mean, he did, you know, all of these, he was, he was all of these things, even since I knew him, you know, I didn't even, I mean, he was an old man by the time I met him, you know, um, but he, he was a Christian, and he lived at home the exact same way that he preached and talked and lived in front of everybody else, and that's what makes a Christian a Christian, when you are who you are everywhere, that's what a Christian is. That's proving that you're a Christian. That's proving that you love God. And I want my family to know that they're the most important thing in my life, right behind my love for God. Um, you know, I've often put myself in this situation. What happens if somebody comes and says, either you say that you don't love God or I'm going to shoot your kid in the head? I mean, that's a tough decision, you know. But uh, I play through those scenarios in my mind now because I can't, I can't say that I don't love God. I can't deny my faith. I can't, I can't turn back as a Christian, you know, um, and, and I, I certainly hope, I mean, that's an extreme example, but my kids need to know that I love God, and I want them to, I hope they can look back and see that, and if that means there are some things that we can't do for fun because they go against the Bible, then I'm sorry, we can't do those things, it's not what a Christian does, my relationship with God and their relationship with God trumps every other principle of family, and I want them to know that I love God unconditionally. You know, if we get 18 years with our kids, that's such a short window of time. You know, 
Maybe you get a couple extra if they stay around a little longer, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with them doing that. It'd be great. But we just have such a short window. And in that little short window of time, we are trying to leave a legacy behind us. And if we don't, if we don't do it in that short window, then all the influence that we can have for the rest of their life might be gone too. You know, it's so important that, uh, you know, we can make a difference to the next generation <coughs> while we still can. And that's what we ought to be trying to do. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you for the examples that I've had in my life of, of strong fathers who lived what they preached, who lived the example that I'd love to live for my children. Thank you for Pastor Brothers. I thank you for his example and for the father that he was to my wife. I certainly wouldn't have the wife that I have today if it wasn't for my father-in-law and for everything that he did as a father. And I thank you so much for that. certainly wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for my dad. So, God, I pray that my kids can say the same thing when they look back in the years to come and that, they, that all of our kids here would be able to say the same thing about each of the fathers here. Thank you for what you do for us. I pray that you give us a good night tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.